Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of this household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. 
Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Well, thank you very much. Uh, well, good evening, everybody. Uh, it's wonderful uh, to be with you all as you look at this passage uh, from Matthew 10. Uh, but before we start, please pray with me. Uh, Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you give us, uh, for your mercies which you lay at our feet. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day, for the breath in our lungs, and for your word. Lord, we pray that by your spirit you will soften our hearts and transform them so that we can understand your son more. Lord, may I decrease, but your word increase in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I want you to imagine this scene. I want you to put your shoes, yourself in the shoes of this character. Uh, You've just been hired for your first job in the hospitality industry, and you are nervously excited for your first day at your new job. So Monday, Ivor rolls around, and you excitedly and nervously walk through the sliding doors of your new workplace, the prestigious Thornley McDonald's. You're given your uniform, assigned your station, start assembling mediocre burgers at a rapid-fire pace. All seems good. The guy behind you, frying up some tender chicken McNuggets, asks you what you did on the weekend. Now, you say that you went to church. And they ask you why. And you think to yourself, What an easy opportunity. What an easy opportunity to share the gospel with this person. This isn't really that hard. So you say to them that you believe that Jesus is Lord over everything, that he died, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and will come one day to judge the living and the dead, and that by believing in him you can have life through his name. And the second goes by but then your heart sinks when you see their head shake. I can't believe you're a Christian. I can't believe you're one of those hateful Christians. I can't believe you think what Jesus said is good. Well, the next thing you know, you're the odd one out at your new job. People don't want to ask you about your life. People don't go out of their way to talk to you. They're polite just, but they're not friendly. So you leave the weird Christian at work. Now, I'm sure that for many of us, uh, I think we can relate to this story. We are all too familiar with this type of persecution that this character faced. Sure, this persecution for the gospel might not be as severe as the suffering faced by our brothers and sisters in places like China or the Middle East 
We may even feel a little bit uncomfortable about calling this real persecution for fear of downplaying the very real and immense suffering that many Christians all over the world face for their faith. But this hostility to the gospel is persecution nonetheless. And it's this type of persecution that I'm sure the majority of us have experienced. Maybe even in this last week. And when things like this happen to us, I think it can be very easy for us to sometimes ask ourselves, deep down in our heart, is it even worth it? Is the relational fallout really worth it? Is the social stigma of being associated with Jesus really worth it? How can I tell people about Jesus when the potential cost is so great? Brothers and sisters, Jesus, through his teaching in our passage today, he answers this question for us. Are we going to look at three things that Jesus teaches his disciples and what that looks like for us today? There will be persecution for the gospel, that there is comfort in the gospel, and of the necessity of the gospel. There's persecution for the gospel, comfort in the gospel, and the necessity of the gospel. Uh, but we don't want to jump the gun. I feel like I'm banging into something. We don't want to jump the gun. Uh, so before we get to that, we need to make sure we understand what Jesus is talking about and who he's speaking to. So look at me in your Bibles from verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Then he goes on and he names the 12 apostles. And these 12... Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Uh, Jesus is very clear about where he wants his disciples to go and who he wants them to preach to. And I think what might come as a surprise to many of us is that this isn't everybody. He tells them to stay within the region of Galilee and preach to the Jews, to disregard the nations around and the people inhabiting them and preach only to the lost sheep of Israel. And in verses 7 through 15, Jesus explains to his disciples how he wants them to do this, what he wants this mission to look like. Uh, We could spend a whole term mining the riches of these verses. You could spend your whole lifetime trying to understand this passage, Uh, but I don't think anyone really wants to hear me speak for the rest of their life. Uh, I don't even think my wife Haley does, uh, but she doesn't get a choice anymore. She signed up for it. Uh, there's There's so much in this passage that we could look at. But did you, did you notice the shift that happened at verse 16? Did you notice the change that Jesus made? Look with me there. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Jesus has shifted his focus from the disciples' imminent mission into the region of Galilee to the lost sheep of Israel 
out to the broader future mission of the church, to the Gentiles, the mission that we are involved in. So we're going to be spending our time focusing on this area of Jesus' teaching and his answer to the question, how can I share Jesus when the potential cost is so great? But very quickly, before we get to that, before we move on, there's something in verse 8 that Jesus says that I want us to quickly hone in on because I think it's very important to this passage that we understand. He says, in this end of verse 8, freely you have received, so freely give. As Jesus sends his disciples into Galilee, he makes sure that they understand that they are to have no prejudices as they go and share the gospel because God has shown no prejudice towards them. Brothers and sisters, we have received grace and forgiveness from Jesus so freely. And he commands us to share this grace and forgiveness equally as freely to everybody. But this free gift that we offer will not always be received joyfully. This is our first point, persecution for the gospel. So we're from verse 16 again. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking but the spirit of the father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the situation. Jesus doesn't pull his punches here. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. It's dangerous, hard, costly. Jesus unequivocally says that if you offer people the grace of God, tell them of the hope that is found in Jesus, you will face persecution. No ifs, buts, or maybes. That persecution isn't the punishment for poor preaching, but rather the expectation of good teaching. So don't feel too bad if you're in this situation. Don't feel too bad if you've been persecuted for telling someone the gospel. But don't face persecution for being a jerk. The expectation of persecution isn't an excuse for snarky, selfish, loveless evangelism. Because they didn't kill Jesus for being snarky. They killed him because of the gospel. Let's not mistake them for being the same thing. Jesus tells his disciples to, in a world hostile to the gospel, to be as shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. To not be stupid like sheep, but be sharp and sensible like a snake. Always being ready to give an account and a reason and a defense for the hope that we have in Jesus. But at the same time, we are to be as innocent as doves. In our snake-like shrewdness, We aren't to have any poison on our lips or on our hearts. Rather, we are to be like doves, a symbol of peace. We are to be gentle and loving and caring. 
as shrewd as a snake, yet as innocent as a dove. But when we live the Christian life in this way, like snakes and doves, we will face persecution. But did you notice what types of persecution Jesus mentioned here? I think this is really important that we catch this. In verses 17 to 18, Jesus talks about facing political and in many ways physical persecution. You know, being arrested, uh, being held on trial before governors and political powers, being flogged. But in 21 to 22, we see a different yet still significant form of persecution. A social persecution, far more akin to that that we face and that of our character and our story at the start. Look with me at verses 21 to 22. Jesus says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. Well, this is a very real and very painful type of persecution, isn't it? God has created us in his image as a reflection of who he is. And God, by his very nature, is relational. God has always existed in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, together for all eternity. So us, as his image-bearing creatures... We feel the pain of strained and broken relationships deeply. The cost of telling the world the good news of Jesus is that there will be serious and painful relational strain. Be that in our work relationships, our families, our friendships. Uh, when I was in the back end of high school, year 11, 12, it was around the time of the gay marriage plebiscite, the postal vote that went out. Uh, at school, at the great Tamara High School, I was known as the good Christian boy. Uh, everyone knew where I stood on the issue. And this caused me some serious relational strain, some serious friendship breakdown. Uh, I wasn't going out of my way to tell people how to think or what they should do or how they should vote. I wasn't being snarky or a jerk. I barely talked about it at all. I barely talked about it. But there were some people, some of my friends, who wouldn't speak to me for a month just because I was a Christian. Just because I believed the gospel of Jesus, they wouldn't even speak to me. They would barely look at me. Imagine if I had said something. Imagine if I had told them the gospel of Jesus. I don't know if they would ever talk to me again. Friends, the gospel is good news. It's not harmful. It's not hateful. It's not hurtful. It is the grace and mercy of God that brings light and life into dark and dead places. But nobody likes the needle that carries the cure. We will kick and scream and fight, even to our own detriment. The cost of telling people the gospel is painful. Real persecution isn't just limited to physical our relationships are important. They matter. That's how God's made us. And we aren't to be surprised by this treatment. You know, it shouldn't come as a shock to us, this persecution. But Jesus says it actually makes a lot of sense. Look at me for verse 24. 
Jesus says, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? If we follow and proclaim to this world a king who that same world crucified, well, then we won't be treated that much better. If we hope to share in Jesus' resurrection, we should also expect to share in his persecution. Brothers and sisters, we will suffer for the gospel of our Lord Jesus. But this gospel that we suffer for does not leave us without comfort. It's our second point, comfort from the gospel. Uh, Jesus reminds his disciples of the great comfort that's found in this gospel that they're suffering for. And he does this by reminding them of who the God they serve is and what he is like. Jesus reminds them of God's knowledge, his power, and his care for them. In verse 26, Jesus says, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid. Nothing that happens on earth escapes God's notice. You can't pull a fast one on God. The reason Jesus says God's infinite knowledge should fill us with comfort is because at the end of time, when God sums up all things and brings everything to completion in Christ, when we stand before the judgment throne of God and give an account of our lives and of our sins, nothing will be missed. And those who have persecuted the body of Jesus will not fail to receive the just punishment for their actions. Christian, Jesus hears your prayer. He knows the pain you bear for his name. And he will not fail to reward those who serve him faithfully. So take heart. And don't seek revenge nor harbour bitterness in your heart against those who persecute you. But rather pray for them. Knowing that God is the one who justly judges all things. God's knowledge should give us comfort. And so should Jesus' reminder of God's power. In verse 28, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, Jesus tells his disciples not to be afraid of those who persecute them. But more than just those who persecute them, those who persecute them to the point of death. I don't know about you, but if someone was trying to kill me, I think I might just be a wee little bit scared. But here, Jesus isn't commanding his disciples to be stoic in the face of immense suffering, but that they shouldn't let their fear of persecution stop them from sharing the gospel. That the one they should fear more than anything else isn't the one who can only destroy their body, but rather the one who holds creation in his hand, set the earth on its axis, and will decide the fate of their eternity. That is the power we should fear. God is infinitely bigger than any power in all creation. So why do we so often allow ourselves to be governed by small powers and small fears? Why do we so often live our lives like our biggest fear is how we look or how much we earn or how comfortable we are or what people think of me? 
rather than what God thinks of us. And rather than where our soul will be for eternity. Friends, don't be held captive by small fears. They're not worth it. But be comforted by the fact that the God who has this great power holds out to you grace and mercy because he cares for you. Verse 29, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now I'm going to sneeze, hopefully not into the microphone. No, I've got it, we're fine. I love that, right? Jesus says, you are worth more than many sparrows. When you look over creation and you see its complexities and its intricacies, God is actively working to hold it all together. The sun rises and falls because God wills it. Trees grow and flowers flourish because that is God's desire. Sparrows, such a small thing in the grand spectacle that is creation, they do nothing outside of the will and knowledge of God. And if God cares and loves all these wonders of his creation, which he calls good, how much more will he love and care for his children, who he called very good? Christian, God, with all his knowledge and power, knows and cares for you, his child, deeply. There is great comfort in the gospel. Jesus says in verse 32, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. That's a wonderful promise. To have the King of heaven on earth be on your side. But that wonderful promise is followed by a terrifying one. Which brings us to our third point. The necessity of the gospel. Look with me at verse 33. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. That is a terrifying prospect, isn't it? That if we are too embarrassed or too ashamed of Jesus in this life to acknowledge him before others, then Jesus will be ashamed of us before the Father. That is terrifying. And I think it leaves us with a very clear imperative. Evangelize. Tell people the good news of Jesus. There's nothing in it to be ashamed about. All people must hear the gospel. Without it, they will die in their sin, without hope or without forgiveness. From verse 37, Jesus says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What Jesus says is clear. He is to be of first importance in our lives, in everybody's lives. He is to be more important to us than family, more important to us than our comfort, more important to us even than our own lives. And he doesn't give this as a suggestion or a guideline, but rather a command. That if you seek after your own comfort and security, if you seek to live your life now without him, you will lose it. Because life without Christ 
is really no life at all. So how can I tell people about Jesus when the potential cost is so great? Because the certain cost of life without him is far greater. People need the gospel. No matter how much they may not want to hear it, no matter how much it might pain us and hurt us to tell them, everyone needs the gospel. If someone you cared about was standing in the middle of the road and a bus was bearing down towards them, you would do everything you could to get them out of the way, wouldn't you? You would push them over, you would tackle them out of the way. You wouldn't care if you scraped your knee or bunged up your elbow. That pain would be insignificant and would pale in comparison to the cost and pain of doing nothing. The gospel is necessary. So how are we going at sharing it? Well, I have three questions that I want to ask you, and then one request. And I pray that God would, through this, use us, his church, to reach our community for Jesus. The first question is this. Who are you sharing Jesus with? He says, freely you have received, so freely give. Is there someone in your life right now that you are telling about the wondrous things Jesus has done in your life? Are you doing that on a regular basis? Is there someone in your life that you are reading the Bible with who doesn't yet know Jesus as their Lord? Are you praying for people, praying for your friends, your family who don't know Jesus? It is the duty of all Christians to proclaim the goodness of our King to a weary world regardless of the difficulty or discomfort that we may face for it. So who are you sharing Jesus with? My second question, how are you serving? What are the ways that you are using the gifts that God has given you for his kingdom and his glory? God has given his church, his body, he's equipped us with every gift that we need to reach our community for him. To reach Normanhurst, reach Thornley, even the darkest depths of Westley, God has equipped his church to reach. So how are you using your gifts to serve Jesus in his church? There are many ways that we can be serving outside of the church context, but how are you serving in church? As Christians, we are called to serve at church, and there's a very wonderful opportunity to do this coming up really soon. Uh, In the first week of the school holidays, from the 5th to the 7th of July, is our annual kids' holiday program, Explore, where dozens and dozens of kids and their families who don't know Jesus will walk through the doors just over there and give up a week where we can tell them about Jesus and where lives will be transformed and souls will be saved. It's such a wonderful opportunity to use the gifts that God has given you. So I want to encourage you that if you call yourself a member of this church, I encourage you to consider and think about ways you could serve him on Explore. Uh, That could be through being a hands-on leader with the kids all week, maybe through being on the band, on a set-up, pack-down team, making food, taking videos or photos. There's a bazillion different teams that Josh has made up to do this. There's lots of ways you can serve Jesus in the coming holidays. And if you have any questions about this, please come chat with me or anyone who's up the front. We'd love to point you in the right direction and find a way for you to serve on Explore or in the wider, broader life of our church.
God has gifted his church with many gifts. How are you using them for the purpose that they were given to you for? To serve Jesus. And third and final question, have you considered ministry? Have you considered setting aside your life to wholly devote it to seeing the gospel go out into all the world? Uh, If you haven't, I encourage you to spend some time thinking and praying about it. That God will reveal to you what his plan is. But if you have been considering it, I want to encourage you to talk to someone uh, that you trust, and that you know a Christian that you trust, because there are many ways that we can be serving Jesus with all of our lives. Jesus said just before our passage at the end of Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Is God calling you into a life of ministry? Please pray about that and chat with myself, Liam, Brian, anyone on staff. would love to help you think through that. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus is necessary for everyone. We have been freely given such wonderful grace. So let us not fear the persecution that we will face for sure. For the Father, if we live for him. Now, I said I had one request uh, for us, and this is that I want to ask you to pray now. I'm going to give you a few seconds in a moment, but I want you to pray and ask that the Father, through his Spirit, would reveal to you how he wants you to use the gifts that he's given you to serve his body, the church. I know for many of you, you're already serving in various different ways. Maybe you think you've already asked, done this prayer before, and you probably have. But there are many ways that we can serve God. So please take a few moments and ask that God reveal to you how he wants to use you so that the world that is in desperate need of the gospel can hear it. And we'll give you a few moments to pray and then I'll close in prayer. Father, you've given us such a wondrous mercy in Jesus that on the cross he bled and died for our sins to wash us clean so that we can be in a right relationship with you. Lord, this is a wonderful message that our world desperately needs. Father, I pray that you would use all of us, all of your children, to spread that message to our community, to our country, to our world. Lord, please strengthen us by your spirit and give us courage to do this in the midst of persecution, knowing that if we acknowledge you before others in this world, you will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord, there is nothing more wonderful than that. In Jesus' name, amen.